Welcome back to Sustainability Mindshift, where we are exploring what it takes to be a sustainability leader today, including the skills and the capabilities and specifically the mindsets that are essential for success. We are your hosts, Brad Pierce and Melker Larson, and we are absolutely delighted and extremely honored to have Isabel Rimanozzi here with us today. Hi, Isabel. Hi. Let me tell you a little bit about Isabel. Um, amazing person. She is an academic, an author, a teacher, a leadership and team coach, and a strategic sustainability advisor who's made it her life's purpose to promote change accelerators. That's a big life's goal. One of the reasons we're speaking with Isabel today is that she is a world leading expert and pioneer in what's called the sustainability mindset, which is a concept that she developed and has been studying for over 15 years. And it all started with her quest to understand what inspired business leaders to champion corporate initiatives that have positive and lasting impacts on the environment and the community. She actually wanted to know what it is that made them act in a, as she says, a business as unusual way. In her pursuit of researching, developing and promoting the sustainability mindset concept, Isabel created an international cohort of 190 academics from 180 universities on five continents to engage their students around this holistic mindset. These professors foster a new paradigm while also driving an increased social action and consciousness. And the members of this, this group are, are researching the sustainability mindset within their own contexts and cultures, writing papers about it and presenting at conferences, which is really interesting. Isabel's the author of 15 books, including her most recent book entitled The Sustainability Mindset Principles, A Guide to Developing a Mindset for a Better World, and she's preparing to launch the world's first sustainability mindset indicator, which is a personal development tool designed to assess where we are in our own sustainability mindset journey. Uh, she's also co-founder and director of a nonprofit called Minervus, Women Changing the World, where she helps promote self-organizing groups of women who want to make a difference in their community. So she's a very active woman, folks. Her motto, this is, I love this. So I've got this from her LinkedIn. Her motto is, if you're alive today, you got a role to play, <laughs> which is fantastic. Um, love that. Lastly, I just will say uh, she's based in, uh, in Florida and she's from Argentina. So dear to my heart, love speaking Spanish. Bienvenidos, Isabel. Muchas gracias. <laughs> so I, I, I'll, I'll have to start us off. Um, you know, I love that you say if, you, if you're alive today, you've got a role to play. So given that we all have these roles, um, you know, I would argue that there are people on this planet, many leaders, in, in fact, who have really good intentions. They really want to make a difference, um, but they don't necessarily understand how or they under, you know, see how sustainability fits in the context of their business and their role and their team's role or even their organization's role uh, in society and the planet. But as you found in your research 15 years ago, there, there are leaders who do have these mindsets that are geared towards sustainability and sustainable business transformation. So let's talk about that off the bat. Like how does a sustainability mindset differ from one that is say the business as usual? Um, I think a sustainability mindset is a way of thinking and being. And uh, that particular way of thinking and being um, is geared to connect ourselves 
with our behavior, with our values, with the difference we want to make in the world. And these are all different things because our values may be something that uh, we rarely talk about, or maybe if we are religious, we think of it uh, when we go to church. But uh, our daily behaviors are in a different realm and not necessarily we are connecting these to every day, neither with the larger good. So I think this is a, a way where all these different conversations come together and really enhance each other and uh, maximize each other. And uh, maybe I, I can share a, a very brief vignette I was interviewing the late uh, Ray Anderson, which you may be familiar. Well, he was the founder of Interface, a, a leading organization in sustainability. And uh, he was saying, you know, I thought that we were not doing anything forbidden, that we were not doing anything against the law. But when I realized, when I read about the impact that the industry had on the planet, particularly on the environment, my heart was breaking because I said, we are the captains of the industry. And so he said, uh, you know, I was hugging and crying and hugging my wife and crying when I was reading about this. I was reading out loud in bed at night, a book from uh, Paul Hawken. And uh, he said, you know, I, I just couldn't take it that we were part of this. And although, as he said, he was not doing anything illegal, the interesting thing that happened, it connected with his values in that moment, no? very quickly. His values, he was saying, I'm a good person. I, I am not that. But at the same time, it was an unconscious, unintentional damage that he was doing, or indirectly, very indirectly. So when he noticed the connection between his behaviors, his values, who he wanted to be, who he wanted to be for his grandchildren, that was uh, the powerful motivation that launched him on, we, we need to do something. And he didn't know what to do, obviously, because you know normally people don't know what should we be doing differently. There is a, an anchoring on what we are already doing that is stable and we want to continue doing that because we know it's working, etc. So to change that for some unknown is normally not very welcome. But his motivation was so strong that he never stopped mm -hmm. uh, talking and trying uh, to bring people to see what he was seeing. So it is a very powerful uh, combination and it is not just intellectual and that is one thing that I want to stress because many times it's oh I know all the things that are happening and but it's not just the knowing it's how we connect it with our heart with our feelings and with our values and the higher self the better part of ourselves no? No. It's so fascinating that you got a chance to to talk to Ray Anderson. Uh, I wish I had had the chance. You know, it's interesting um, that you're talking about that. I wonder how many you know, leaders like him um, at multiple levels have this conflict, not, not only between the, the head and the heart, as you say, but um, in, in some of the interviews we've had, we've talked to people who talk also about left brain, right brain, the, the hemispheres and, the, and, the, and the, the conflict that can go on between the logic and the, the you know, the sort of more um, intuitive sort of emotional side. And and I know that you're in your indicator, you um, you identify four dimensions that, you know, look at both the sort of the internal uh, dimension and the, and, the, and the struggles that can happen there and the, and the, the insights and the aha moments, as well as the, the external um, 
if you don't mind, I'll just I'll, I'll, I'll mention them because I think it's really interesting. So you've got these these dimensions broken down into an ecological worldview, a systems perspective, a spiritual intelligence and an emotional intelligence. And, and from with from that come uh, you've designed uh, 12 um, you know, sustainable mindset principles that that are specific sort of skill sets. Let's talk a little bit of, about that. I mean, how did you how did you come up with that? It's amazing. Well, they were not principles in the beginning. When I did my research, I wanted to know if these leaders that decided to change how they were operating their business and go against their whole leadership team <laughs> most of the time, sometimes their bosses if they were not the the founders or the presidents. And they, uh, they were able to transform that organization over time. I wanted to know why did they do it? No one asked them. They were not hired to do that. They were already successful. What moved them? What pushed them to do something so unusual? And my, in the back of my mind was, well, if there is something that they have in common, because I interviewed many, if there is something that they have in common and that we could uh, replicate, intentionally develop in the next generation, then we have like a, a good formula. Instead of waiting that some exceptional, you know, person shows up every so many decades, we mm. could have a, a pattern here. Uh, but I didn't know because I thought maybe uh, trauma, you know, in the, in the uh, research of transformational moments, trauma is a very important factor, you know? like people have a traumatic experience and loss or something that happens to them, an illness or whatever, or midlife crisis, but you cannot replicate the things. But I was thinking, is there anything that we could replicate? And that was when I came up with this bunch of elements or aspects very uh, heterogeneous, not very different one from the other, like how they thought, uh, what now I call systems perspective, or how they uh, saw themselves in relation to the ecological or social uh, challenges. Oh, what's my contribution on this? Oh my God, I'm contributing to the problem. So there were different things. And I called it the elements for lack of a better word. Then later I said, well, it would be nice if I can group them somehow because they were you know, all over the map and spiritual, like a sense of purpose. So I found that they actually could be grouped in these four categories that the area, content area that you just said, ecological worldview, systems, perspective, spiritual intelligence, and emotional intelligence. And then we, we stayed with that framework for several years. But then about uh, two years ago, I started to think we need principles because when we have a principle, it condenses it's easy to state, it's easy to grasp. And if we want this to be part of our language, and you know, language creates reality, creates the way to connect with the reality, we need something that is a little bit more solid. Like a principle has just by because it's called a principle, it, it has, you know, a brand. And I say, we can, how can I translate? these elements into statements. And that is where I came up with these uh, 12. They were already 12 before, but they were just called elements or whatever, so, uh, yeah. aspects and things like that. So by uh, naming them, uh, phrasing statements, it also made it easier to say, so if this is the statement, 
what is the uh, learning outcome? If I want to uh, include it in a leadership development program or in a classroom, what is, what is it that I want to achieve? And so it allowed a little bit to draw a path on how to uh, develop and how to implement, make this a, a reality. Mm. So that is a little bit how, how they come. And then they became very useful for the indicator because for the indicator, I needed uh, to ground it on some kind of conceptual structure. And so it was very easy having 12 principles. Then I could build the questions around the aspects of these uh, uh, 12 uh, principles. Yeah. Mm. That is super interesting. And I want to talk more about education. But first, I'll just share this very short anecdote of my own journey with sustainability that I've been studying for a few years now. And in the beginning, I really sensed that innovation and technical solutions were a really fundamental part. And I still believe they're part of a general solution. But I, as I went down looking at the problems uh, through time and uh, really digging deep into it, I sense that what you're speaking about here coming down to the mindset of how we actually view the world and how we view these problems and challenges is like such a fundamental level of understanding all our global challenges even. Um, so, and from that, I'm so interested to, because my mindset and my sustainability mindset was empowered by the knowledge I gained by systematically developing uh, frameworks to look at these challenges mm. so i'm wondering if you have any thoughts on uh, the relationship between the knowledge and the mindset and how they can build on each other perhaps yeah. i can answer that but may, may i ask a clarification question to you mm -hmm. you said that the, it built up from the knowledge uh was there any point in your in your journey where that knowledge became connected with emotions um there for sure have been like multiple of those uh, moments when it feels like the the knowledge has been also integrated by the feeling um so a different level of understanding i would say that i feel like this is morally or ethically something that i align myself to and i attribute that quite a much to i learned this term just recently developmental entrenchment that uh, we're so at least uh, me and many others like we've lived in ways for so long that uh, that we've almost had uh, intergenerational am amnesia to some of the aspects that are for example living in in line with nature mm -hmm. and understanding the system perspective of how we relate to everything around us so some of these insights has come from realizing like what cultural and societal societal narratives have guided me to become true and then the knowledge has then come to such a point that i can look at it oh perhaps but this is one perspective perhaps this mm. is not the whole truth mm. and then i can integrate another feeling into my mindset of how i look at the world because my then my worldview has basically changed yeah i'm asking you because um it is uh, very common that we address these issues from the knowledge side or oh, the technology, mm -hmm. like you were saying, we think of innovations or how can we develop uh, entrepreneurial skills to, to be the, the shapers of a new world. And many times educators shy back 
from inviting the emotions into it. Mm -hmm. uh, they say, well, it's enough if we deal with the knowledge and that will uh, suffice. However, if you think of the word emotion, it sets us into motion. Mm -hmm. And that is where the passion comes, whether it is anger, sadness, guilt, you know, uh, uh, hope uh, that I can fix something, despair, all the gamut of uh, emotions that is possible in a human heart. These are the like the fertilizers mm. of our actions. That is what pushes us, you know, I need to do something. Just the intellectual conviction is uh, a little bit more, more fragile because today, you know, I really think that it's a good business case. And tomorrow I say, well, I don't know. Now that the uh, prices of gas are falling, I don't know if it's such a good business case anymore. Maybe we, we don't need to uh, switch into renewables after all, because it's an investment, you know, and when will we recover it? Look how big cheap the price of gas is. So that is when you are connected from here, from the business case, and not when you have a holistic engagement of the individual, because when you have the holistic engagement, there is no way back. These are like curtains that are opening or are reconnecting us with who we deeply are. I remember a woman that I interviewed, she worked in a big multinational company, I think in Unilever. And she said, you know, when I was starting college, I wanted to be a doctor working in uh, Doctors Without uh, Medicine Sans Frontières, no? this uh, Doctors Without Borders. Yes. And I wanted to go here and there. And then, you know, something, things changed. And then I got married and then this and then that. And then I got sucked in into a uh, corporate position and doing well. And suddenly I was very fine this until one day something happened and I, reconnected with that part of me that I had totally mm. forgotten. And it felt that I recovered something so essential of myself. I had forgotten. Where mm. was that all these years? And that led her to make a, a change. Wow. So, mm. that's, that's so interesting that you're saying that because that's, it, you know, it kind of enlightened me to think about what happened to, to myself as well. I'd, I'd worked for many years in international development and rainforest conservation down in Central America, actually, which is where I got to practice my Spanish. Um, but, you know, I, I got uh, eventually a job at a bank. Um, I thought I needed to have a job that, you know, where I could finally make some money outside of the international development world. And um, I, I had lost a piece of myself in there. And, um, and it was that moment that I decided to bring environment back into my life and start to try to uh, promote sustainable thinking, sustainable development within the context of the bank. Um, way back in the day when I used to go to these conferences called Series run by Mindy Lubber here in Boston, wonderful human being, um, and, and, and was inspired to bring that into the bank. And, and, and it really, it was, it was eye-opening in the sense that I found that I could finally apply sort of the systems thinking that I had gained down in Central America, looking at how people um, live within these, these rainforest systems and interacted with them and and, um, and, and bring that to the bank and, and, and help understand how we can, as a business, operate internally and externally sustainably. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's the aha moment that you said you can't go back from. You can't, you can't return. It's a, it's a veil that's been unfolded. It's unbelievable. How do, you, how, do you, go ahead. how do you work with leaders then? Um, it's, you're already doing it with us, which is, which is fantastic. I mean, you, the last time we talked, um, when we were talking about the discussion today, you 
you walked us through a sort of a process um, virtually even, which is really incredible because I think there's a, there's a, you know, there's more value in being in person with somebody. Um, but today the reality is we have to do a lot um, online. Um, how do you, how do you tend to work with people to, to get them to sort of think about these, these head and, and heart connections? Hmm. I think it depends on the context. It depends on the so many variables that set you what what is the setting that you have it's not the same if you have a conference uh, or have 20 minutes than if you have a, a day or a, a three hours or you know several sessions so it, it all depends and then well, it's really tailored you have to tailor to where they are mm -hmm. and uh, because you want to bring them a step forward but you don't you can make some assumptions about where they are yeah, if they are already this is part of a program where they already have been seeing certain things they have a different starting point and if this you encounter them for the first time with new with new terms then i wouldn't be talking about spiritual intelligence because people freak out <laughs> but uh, then you start with for example a question like what do you think is my contribution to this there's an exercise that i like to do that I have done virtually, face-to-face, uh, -face, but also virtually. So I tell them, okay, now we will take a, a break of uh, five minutes and you will go around the house as a sustainability inspector. And you will take a look at some products that you have in your pantry or maybe in your bathroom and you look at them like a sustainability inspector. So look at them, the packaging, the size, the label, whatever it is, the content, just what what is it and then come back in five you have five minutes without further instructions and then they come back and it's very fun because it's very real and say oh my god i have to throw away off of the things of my pantry and i never realized that you know we are buying these tomatoes that come from uzbekistan I don't, i'm making it up uh, how common all the conservant and all the micro microplastic micro beads inside of my my cosmetics and i had heard that this goes into the waters but i have it in my bathroom and i am <laughs> i am a CSR officer, I mean, you have all this interesting and it's fun because we make it light, but at the same time, it's a moment of, uh, oops, uh, you know, of awareness. And that goes to one of these uh, principles that is understanding what are our unintentional contributions to the problems. Because once we notice them, then we have options. As long as we don't notice them, there are no options. We just continue doing what we're doing. But when we notice it and say, oh, maybe I need to do something. And even if we don't do it right away, it keeps nagging on you. No? Like I uh, have been living in this house maybe for five years. And I, I as a sustainability professional, bringing sustainability in and out, day in, day out, I felt badly about our FPL uh, uh, energy here. That is uh, terrible. So then I said, well, I need to put solar. Well, but you know, putting solar panels is expensive. Is this, is that, and where, and can we do it? And so you know, it's not something that you do in the afternoon. So it took a while, but <laughs> until I got it done, I was postponing it, time was going by and I kept feeling horrible. So mm. that is called a cognitive dissonance. Cognitive mm. dissonance is a tension that we experience physically or emotionally between what we know 
how we are doing something and how we think we should be doing it or how we would like to see ourselves. So mm. that is a cognitive dissonance. And that actually is very powerful to drive change because when we, we want to get rid of that tension, it's natural, you know, I, I just want to get rid of the tension and we get rid of the tension, but finally doing something. Now we have to solve it. I feel better about it. So now I have the next problem because there are always new challenges, but that is something that I try to create. How do you can create this cognitive dissonance without being doomsday scenario, no? Because also you don't want to depress everybody in, in 20 minutes and you want to have a good balance between how am I part of the problem? Because that is also very empowering. When we see where we are playing a role in the problem, we can also do something. The key uh, we have there. So it's not, oh, I'm at the mercy of the powerful uh, mm -hmm. system, the corporation, my boss, we find a little place where we can do something. That is, if you're alive, you have a role to play. <laughs> I love it. I know action solves it. I, you know, just doing something, you're right, because I, I feel like there's cognitive dissonance layered on top of eco-anxiety, which I deal with every day. And it's mm -hmm. it's a powerful feeling that, that can often make some people just say, ah, there's nothing I can do. So, <laughs> You know, taking one step even in your home is, is huge. It's awesome. Yeah. Mm. I'm super interested in, uh, as from my perspective as well, like uh, if we look at my journey where I I believe I, I've always known this somewhere deep in my heart, there's been some intu intuition telling me what the, the mindset is, the holistic mindset. But then uh, it wasn't really until I gained more knowledge that I felt empowered to take more action kind of knowing what uh, I needed what needed to happen and I'm interested in how you look at what we can do for younger persons like even young uh, young professionals students like me or even like in in the upbringing of uh, of people to to not lose sight of that mindset because I think it is like you mentioned it's something that we forget because mm -hmm. I, I believe perhaps it's part of being human and to have this to remember what it's like um but i'm interested to hear your perspectives on on the youth of the world of uh, how can we work with this sustainability mindset down there um i wouldn't be worried about the youth i think they get it faster right mm -hmm. now in schools almost in uh, around the world children get more uh, educated from when they're so well used to throw the plastic. Uh, I have a, a child in my family, he's four or five, and he already knows where he throws the plastic, where it is this, and they, they learn it from kindergarten on, from preschool. So uh, I am not worried. You see the generation of the preteens, you uh, in the Fridays for Future and Greta, you know, it's the teenagers. And when uh, I work with students at the higher education, they may not have the language, but they immediately get it. And they welcome their language because now they can name it. Exactly what you say that makes so total sense. And how come we never said, no one ever said that before. Okay, now you have the language. So I am not so worried about them uh, into bringing them into the mindset. I think what we our role is to support them, to encourage them in the innovation, to bring um, 
mentor or give them any type of support that we can give so that they continue doing and, and have this development and get into action. But they have no doubt, and I'm sure as you have no doubt that you need to do something. I think my generation that it's maybe thinking, well, how many more years do I have? Uh, will I make it before the uh, sea level rises comes to my home? Uh, maybe I don't make it. Well, maybe I don't have to do anything and I can keep the status quo, my level of comfort. So the questions are different. But in the younger generation, of course, I need to do something. I mean, I will be 30, I will be 40, I will be a father, I will have a family. How come I will not do something? There is no question. I think what our biggest work, I think it for me, is in uh, working with the older generation. Thanks God in institutions, there are more and more younger people coming in and in teaching positions, and that helps because they already start in a different point. And then policymakers, uh, you know, leadership in certain uh, corporations, we have uh, another generation that uh, has a higher, uh, more more challenging task, because if you have to unlearn, if the things that you were used to, the values that you grew up with now suddenly are not the right ones, that, that doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you grew up thinking, well, you know, success and growth and uh, being very independent, these are all very important values of a, a whole generation, actually mm -hmm. several generations. And now you say, well, that's all wrong. What do you mean that I am wrong? It's a very, it has an emotional thought. It's not easy. So I think these are the ones that need more attention because the, we want uh, no one to be uh, so impacted emotionally that it paralyzes. No? We want to unleash that energy. What is it actually that you can do? That's why I always say this nice motto uh, that if you are there, you have a role. You just have to find a way to use your skills, your assets to meet mm. uh, the best you can be from the deep of your heart, no? not for the convenience of a, of a performance review, yeah. but from the depths of your heart. Yeah, so unleash the the child in us all, right? We need more adults to to reconnect with life and with nature, and 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 have what what most children are born with that we've somehow forgotten and lost our way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a really really interesting discussion. I could go on for hours and hours with you. You are a super exciting, very interesting, very smart woman. Um, look forward to uh, to continuing the journey with you. And um, thanks so much for spending time with us today. Muchísimas gracias, Isabel. You're welcome. And if you want to share the link with your audience, uh, there is a, a little demo of the indicators and so they can play with it and try it out. That would be great. Happy to do that for you. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing the results. Okay. Thank you, so much. Thank you very much for hosting. Thank you, Isabel. Mm -hmm. Thank you.